This is Your Partners in Pain, a podcast that aims to bring together those who live with pain, healthcare providers who treat chronic pain, and researchers working on topics that affect people living with pain. This podcast is a must-listen for anyone experiencing pain or anyone trying to help those who live with it. Your Partners in Pain is presented by the Saskatchewan Pain Society, also known as SAS Pain, and I am your host, Alexandria. Each episode, we are going to speak to Saskatchewan-based healthcare providers and researchers who have information and education to share about pain science and pain care. We are also going to speak with everyday people as they share their incredible stories of living with pain and the techniques they've used to help manage it and live well. It is important to note that the information presented in this podcast represents the opinions of the host and the guests that appear on the show and not that of SAS Pain. The content presented should not be taken as direct healthcare advice, but for informational purposes only. Because each individual is unique, please consult your healthcare provider for any questions or concerns you have, or before you incorporate any of the ideas presented in this podcast into your own treatment plan. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Jessica Jack. Jessica is a scholarship-winning medical anthropology graduate student at the University of Saskatchewan. Jessica has her own experiences with chronic pain, and she has been working as a research assistant on the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan multi-year research project for almost two years now. In this episode, Jessica is going to tell us about her research activities and how it is positively impacting those with pain in the province. We will be discussing the complex nature of pain research and touch on everything from the universality of pain, what roles stigma, culture, trauma, and marginalization have in pain, and even the silver lining that sometimes there is an opportunity for post-traumatic growth after experiencing severe chronic pain. I learned an enormous amount from speaking to Jessica today, and I hope you all do too. Jessica, thank you for joining us today on Your Partners in Pain. As a fellow graduate student and health researcher, I am so excited to have you here so that we can learn all about your involvement in pain research and perhaps inspire some of our listeners to get involved in that type of activity as well. Thank you for having me, Alexandra. (laughs) I really appreciate it. We're happy to have you here. But first, I would like to ask, How did you get interested in or started in pain research? Did you have your own lived experience of pain? Just sort of set the context and walk us through how you ended up in the roles that you're in now. Well, um, just like pain itself, my experience of getting to pain research is a little bit complicated. So I have my own lived experience with pain. Um, I've been on a bit of a, what I would call a six year pain journey um, that started with some, some traumatic experiences, both mentally traumatic and physically traumatic, and then navigating the PTSD that has come with that as well. Um, so I've, I've been going through lots of specialists and you know dealing with the whole medical system and everything like that. So those experiences uh, really inspired me to get deeper into pain research. 
But honestly, I think it started with my academic experiences. Uh, so as you mentioned, I'm also a grad student. I'm a medical anthropology uh, master's student right now. And um, when I started my master's program, I uh, was just searching around for a job and and my supervisor was like, oh, hey, I think you'd be a great fit for this. And I ended up working for the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan project and fell head over heels dumbfoundedly in love with the, the notion of pain research because it's really about making real world differences. And for me as a medical anthropologist, I have an ethical obligation to use my training to improve the world around me. And because pain is often at the heart of inequity and injustice, um, my work has inspired um, you know, my post-master's plans and as well as my role in the Improving Pain Project. Fascinating. I love how it kind of just, you already were having those experiences, but then it just continued to fall into your lap as you continued with your academic track, which is so cool. And just for anybody who doesn't know, can you just briefly tell us what exactly is a medical anthropologist? Does not everybody may know. <laughs> I know that I know because I'm a social scientist, but just for any of our listeners, that might be a new term for them. Absolutely. You know, I, whenever I tell anybody I'm a medical anthropologist, I never expect them to know what it is. So I'm very used to explaining the term. Um, so anthropology in general is the study of culture. So it's, you know, how does culture influence the way that people work and act and live and all of these fun things. And then medical anthropology is a speciality where we look at um, the role of culture in health or health in culture. They, they work simultaneously. Um, so the example that I like to give people is, um, you know, what if you were going to the hospital in a different country where the language was different, you know, the customs are different, uh, the expectations are different. How would you navigate that experience? And, and that's basically the heart of medical anthropology is looking at how culture changes medicine, essentially. And sorry, not just medicine and health. <laughs> that's a medical anthropology <laughs> distinction. <laughs> no, that's a perfect definition. Thank you for just clarifying that for us. And as you had already mentioned, you are currently heavily involved in the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan Research Project. Can you just tell us what is that all about? So the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan Research Project is basically a four-phase project that's aimed at improving pain, pain care, and understanding of pain in Saskatchewan. Uh, we're working with three different populations, uh, Saskatoon's downtown core neighborhoods, uh, Regina's pediatric pain population, so kids and youths, and then adults in Yorkton who represent maybe a little bit more of a rural kind of population. Um, so at this point, we're uh, kind of halfway between phase one and phase two. Uh, phase one was interviews, talking to people living with pain, uh, healthcare providers, um, healthcare decision makers, and then also community organizations who work with people living with pain. And so we, we did 152 interviews with all of these people around the province and ended up with 61 different suggestions of pain strategies that people want to see implemented in Saskatchewan to make a difference in how pain is handled in the province. That sounds like an enormous undertaking, which is so cool. And I'm sure we might get to this later, but I can't help myself. I just want to ask now, what are like, can you just give a couple examples of strategies that people 
have suggested. Yeah. Well, with 61 different strategies, we could be here talking about them for a while, but I'll just cherry pick a couple examples off the top of my head. Um, The biggest one that people tend to ask for is a multidisciplinary pain clinic, uh, which basically means you're not just dealing with, you know, medical doctors who deal with pain, but you're also involving people like massage therapists, um, psychologists or psychiatrists, um, you know, physical therapists, um, uh, pharmacists, you know, basically anybody who is peripherally or directly associated with pain and pain care because pain is so complex and involves basically every aspect of somebody's life. So um, they, you know, you want this one-stop shop where you can go and have all of your pain needs addressed without having to make a thousand different appointments with people who don't talk to each other and therefore don't understand all the facets of your experience. So that was definitely the most popular request by far. That's so good to hear. And I know that there used to be, I'm not sure if there still is in existence currently, but there was a interdisciplinary pain clinic um, for a long time in Saskatchewan. And I believe Susan and I touched on that briefly in our last uh, podcast episode that we did. But I know in my own experience, like I didn't know that a pain psychologist existed until somebody told me about it. And like, holy cow, that's made such a huge difference for my own pain. And I wish that kind of would have been the first stop that I have. So as you said, just being able to go to that one place, kind of see all the different treatment options that are available, because as we know, they don't all work for everyone. There is no one size fits all. So having that Mm -hmm. incredible suggestion, I hope that that's something that can get implemented. So I'm really excited to see, hopefully that a lot of these ideas can come forward. But if listeners want to get updates on the research activities um, as you guys are going along, how can they do that? Do you have like a newsletter or anything that people can follow along? Absolutely. Yeah, we have multiple options of getting in touch or um, following along with our research. Um, So one of them is our Facebook page. So just look for Improving Pain in Saskatchewan. Uh, we also have an Instagram page. Uh, I believe it's Improving Pain SK. And then we do have a newsletter as well. So if you want to sign up, uh, either just send us a message through our social media channels, or you could uh, email me directly if you'd like. I will include all of this in the show notes. So yeah, if anyone wants to contact Jessica to get updates, or if you want to follow along on social media, I will include that at the end of the episode so that we can get all that information for sure. Because I'm sure so many people want to see what's happening as it's developing, maybe be giving feedback if they're able to, because it is a collaborative community-based project, which is so great. Well, absolutely. And and I, I guess I neglected to mention this earlier, but we're only uh, basically at phase two out of four phases of our research. So there's another two phases to go yet and lots of opportunities for people to be involved or um, for this research to grow and change and shift. So I absolutely encourage anybody who's interested to reach out and follow along. Perfect. That's so exciting. I'm so pumped to see how it's developing over the next couple of years. And I know you personally have done a lot of the interviews with the participants of the project. So while you were doing those, were there some things that really surprised you or anything you found particularly fascinating as you were learning more about pain in our province? 
Oh boy. Well, I mean, we could be here for a real long time if (laughs) if we wanted to go into all this, because as uh, an anthropologist, interviewing is my bread and butter. That's, That's basically a lot of what anthropologists do is talking to people to get their experiences, you know, from their own perspectives. So I was deeply invested in every single interview that I did. And I think every one of them was interesting and fascinating and surprising. Uh, But if I had to pick some highlights, um, in terms of what was surprising, I think I found it quite surprising that privilege doesn't prevent pain. You know, rich people or uh, people with high levels of education or, you know, people who may not struggle with like the material uh, aspects of life experience pain just like underprivileged populations do. Um, They just might have other options in addressing that pain. So, you know, pain is a universal, essentially. Pain can be found at every level and in every niche of society. But on the flip side, their pain is also incredibly unique. Experiences of pain, like you mentioned before, are individual. You know, everybody experiences pain differently than everybody else. And pain care techniques um, are, or, you know, approaches or tools or what have you are also rather individual. You said it before, there's no one size fits all option. So, you know, what might work for someone might actually make someone else's pain worse. So that really complex and interesting kind of dynamic between universality and uniqueness was kind of mind blowing because you go into pain research thinking, yes, I'm going to make a difference. I'm just going to, you know, fix everything and it's all going to be great. And then you look at the scale of the problem and you go, whoa, this is just unbelievable. And it's, it's almost every single person who deals with pain needs to be helped in a different way. So, you know, I I can do as much as I can, but we need a big concerted, large scale institutional effort to really make a difference for people living with pain around the world, but also in Saskatchewan. Absolutely. And I think a big part of the uh, Canadian Pain Task Force, which is based in Ontario, which is basically a, a national federal effort to improve pain care, pain management, um, hear more voices of individuals who have been overlooked in pain care and research. They really are trying to unite all the provinces so that we can bring this to the federal level. And it takes research activities like the ones that you're doing to produce that data to show the government officials that this is what people are saying. And this is the evidence base that we need to improve things and not the funding and the resources are not equal across provinces. So that's a really hard barrier for individuals to have to deal with. Well, and to, to add on to that, um, kind of coming back to this anthropological perspective is that um, culture really changes what's effective in terms of pain care or, you know, relieving pain or preventing pain. So uh, solutions to pain essentially have to be done at a local level. It's really great that the Canadian Pain Task Force is out there bringing visibility and voice to this problem across the entirety of the country. But ultimately, the things that address pain at like the on the ground level are going to have to come from individuals and from their communities because they are the only ones who know enough of the context around pain in that community to know what the right approach is to solving that particular community's problems. 
So, you know, it, it needs to be a concerted effort at all levels down to the individual person and all the way up to, you know, the, the federal government and beyond. Absolutely. I 100% agree. And that's such a, no, it's a great perspective. And I feel like it's just something that isn't talked about a whole lot when we're doing pain advocacy, that it has to be that multi-level approach, which is why improving pain in Saskatchewan is so exciting because I feel like they are really targeting that and making sure there's such a broad spectrum of voices included. But from the researcher perspective, what do you wish you could say to chronic pain patients or healthcare providers based on everything you've been learning through this research experience? So to people living with chronic pain, my message is pretty short and concise. I see you. We see you. This 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 pain project, all the people working with pain, we see that you're there because pain is so isolating. Pain really can make people pull away from their communities, from their societies, from their friends, their loved ones. But even if you feel like you're alone, you're not alone. There are people out there trying to make things better. And, you know, we want your voice in that effort to make things better. And I know that this is a small comfort, but sometimes visibility is validating. So I just really hope that you know that you're you're not alone. Um, and then to healthcare providers, it's it's a little bit more tricky <laughs> because most healthcare providers, I fully believe, are doing their best within the system that they're working in, you know, and there are always other options for healthcare providers in, in terms of, you know, further training, um, you know, other educational opportunities to improve their pain care. But ultimately, you know, a lot of what they can do about the problem is dictated by, you know, the larger healthcare systems that they're working in. So you had mentioned before funding, you had mentioned before priorities, things like that. They, you know, a lot of healthcare providers have to work within the dictates of the system. Um, but then also it's really important that healthcare providers understand pain and addressing its root cause rather than its symptoms is the best way to make a difference in, in the life of their patients. Um, and understanding often starts just by listening. And I know that's really difficult because oftentimes the system means that you only have five or 10 minutes with a patient, but that is the thing that's going to make the biggest difference from them is listening without judgment and just understanding their perspectives and their experiences. Um, and just to add one last little thing, pharmaceutical pain care is often the thing that gets used the most in our healthcare systems because that's what the system is set up to suggest. But people living with pain are often looking for non-drug approaches. And there are lots out there, evidence-based non-drug approaches that I just don't know if healthcare providers don't know about or they don't have support to access or what it is. But we overwhelmingly heard from people living in Saskatchewan that they wanted non-drug options for their pain care. So I would just really encourage healthcare providers to, you know, try to find those within the system that uh, that they're they're working in. And I want to just clarify here that like healthcare providers are amazing. They have absolutely saved my life in many ways while I was battling with my own chronic pain. But also, I think the limitation really comes down to the curriculum that a lot of medical professionals are given. I can't remember the exact statistic. I am going to find it and put it in the show notes so that I do not misquote myself. But I feel like 
they only get a total of eight hours of pain education in their entire medical degree in Canada, which is just, it's not sufficient. And again, that is not, that's not the healthcare provider's like fault. That is just has, as a system has been set up and I feel like we can do so much better federally and at the educational level to just make things better so that doctors know that listening to your patient is literally the most important thing that you can do, which is where the roles of people like pain psychologists, as I mentioned earlier, come in and they become so crucial in that pain care. So hopefully with all this research that the project is producing, we can start to see more of those changes and take that to the government level and say, this is where resources and time need to go and be spent so that we can reduce the healthcare load down the line for patients, right? Absolutely. And and I don't mean to sound like I'm blaming healthcare providers in the slightest because if almost all the healthcare providers we spoke to voiced their own frustrations, they wanted to be doing more. They saw that there was room for improvement, but like you said, that they're challenged by basically the structures in which they're working. So either it's their education or it's um, the way that they're compensated for their time. If they take too much time with patients, they're not paid uh, appropriately for that time, things like that. So healthcare providers are, are part of the solution. It's just, unfortunately, sometimes the system that they're working in provides the problem. So we kind of touched on this, but based on everything that you've learned being involved in this project and given all the considerations that a lot of the participants have given, where would you like to see chronic pain care and research going from here, especially in Saskatchewan? Like what are some first recommended first steps that you think would really improve what's happening in the province right now? Okay, well, my answer to this is definitely guided by the fact that I am uh, an anthropologist in training. So I'm going to start with with what I feel like is the obvious one. Um, Culture is really a, a really important part of pain. So cultural groups need support to create their own culturally appropriate approaches to pain care and prevention. So um, at the time that we're recording this, it's just a week out from the National Day of Truth and Reconciliation. So my example is Indigenous survivors of residential school or the 60s scoop or any of these traumatic experiences They have their own very culturally unique experiences of pain that come from those, uh, you know, those events. And so they need culturally appropriate ways of caring for that pain and addressing that pain. Um, And oftentimes the support for those cultural approaches is either lacking or non-existent. Um, And this is kind of what I was getting to when I was saying that, you know, it has to be local approaches to pain care, because if you try to address, say, the pain of somebody who is a residential school survivor through the same means that you would address, say, your pain or my pain, you know, it's likely going to be either inappropriate or ineffective. So homegrown, locally tailored solutions are necessary because needs vary from one town to the next, one neighborhood to the next, one person to the next. Blanket solutions are really often band-aids at best, or they can make the problem worse. Because if you don't know where the pain is coming from, you can't necessarily address it effectively. Um, and then the, the other point that really came up in all of our interviews is that holistic pain care is an absolute must. 
in approaches to medicine, say for, through doctors and things like that, they often focus on the biological aspects of pain. So, you know, nerves or, you know, joint pain or something like that. They're looking at your body, but that ignores the parts of pain that are social, that are environmental, that are, like you said, psychological, that are financial. You know, there's so many aspects to pain that don't necessarily come just from your body. Pain care should also include community organizations, food banks, crisis care and intervention, housing services, all of these kinds of things. Um, we spoke to some people in Saskatoon who uh, live on the streets or don't have permanent housing and trying to think of ways to address their pain that would often be recommended, say, by like a physiotherapist are impossible for somebody who spends all day walking around, you know, the streets. You can't elevate, you know, a, a broken ankle and stay off of it to give it time to heal appropriately. So it doesn't heal appropriately. And you're left with chronic pain with very little way to address it appropriately. You know, there's just you have to look at every single aspect of pain, not just the body. Yes. As you've said here, I'm reducing it down to, in a lot of ways, trauma-informed care, which is recognizing the individual traumas that people have lived and experienced in their lives, the social determinants of health, which are not a huge consideration in a lot of healthcare aspects, which is unfortunate because there is mountains of evidence speaking to how even simple everyday stressors can worsen pain and pain scales as people are trying to live their everyday lives. And I think like the three suggestions you've given here are just, they're absolutely spot on. And I'm really hoping that as the project progresses, that more of our health officials are really paying attention to these things. Because I feel like, as you've said, the biological aspect is the frontline way that things are addressed. And it's simply, it's inadequate for a lot of people. Um, it's easy to go to the pharmacy and get medication if you can afford it, but that's not the whole picture, unfortunately. Absolutely. I, I believe that people tend to focus on the body because that's the way that we're socialized to think of pain. We think of pain as a bodily experience and it actually takes concerted effort to stop and think about it and realize, oh, yeah, but, you know, to fix this about my body, I need to say, eat better. But, but what if I can't afford to eat better? What if I live downtown and there are no grocery stores within accessible distance? Think of every single part of your life. And if you're somebody living with pain, every part of your life is involved with pain. Nothing, nothing is left out. So it all needs to be considered and addressed when healthcare professionals are helping you with your pain. And that's unfortunately just not happening. Just as we're wrapping up here, is there anything else you would like to mention or say that we haven't discussed so far? One thing that I really like to focus on, because before I defected to the side of anthropology, I was actually um, on track to be a psychology student. So I, I just want to backtrack a little bit to uh, psychology here and talk about, you had mentioned, um, you know, trauma-informed care, which is incredibly important because very often we think of the relationship as, you know, pain happens in your body and then manifests somehow in your mind. Like it's all in your head, you know, that kind of stuff that people talk about. But the, the trauma that people go through or, you know, just even adverse experiences that aren't necessarily traumatic can make your body feel pain. The way that your brain works 
you know, it, it transmits from one to the other in not a linear fashion. It's this continuing evolution of between your body and your brain and then your society and all the other things that we've been talking about. So um, thinking about pain and pain care needs to be from A, a trauma-informed lens, but B, a lens that considers uh, an individual or a community's resiliency, which is the ability to bounce back from adverse experiences, essentially. So, you know, you get knocked down and you get back up again. I'm going to start singing Chumbawamba here. <laughs> but um, so you need to consider people's uh, approaches to resiliency or capacity for resiliency, because that changes depending on the individual or their circumstances. And then lastly, um, pain care should also consider things like post-traumatic growth, which is the fact that um, basically if you go through a traumatic experience, oftentimes people will grow as a person from that experience and, and change either at their personality level or just the way that they think about the world and use that as an experience to, you know, become a different person or to look at things a different way. And so pain is a part of who you are in all sorts of ways. It can't be divorced from, you know, from you as an individual, it's not just your body, it's it's your personality, it's the way that you interact with the world, it's the way the world sees you, it's, it's just unbelievable how many ways pain can be a part of you as a person. So for, for anybody listening, I would just really recommend that you sit down and you think, really think about all the ways that pain can be a part of you, and that all the ways that you interact with other people who might be dealing with pain and how you might be able to change your approaches once you start realizing just how big and complex pain really is. I love that. That's a beautiful message. It is, especially as somebody like I'm near the end of my own chronic pain journey. And I know this is going to sound very wild to maybe some people who might be like in that really horrible, like depths of despair that can occur when you are experiencing chronic pain on a daily basis, but there is always an opportunity to learn to live well. And I do believe that almost everyone can get to a point where they do become grateful for the pain experiences that they've had because it has allowed them to really grow and become, it just, it changes your perspective on who you are and what your capabilities are and how you relate to the world around you, which is really what you're talking about. And I know it can be so difficult when you're struggling every day and you haven't found treatments that are really working or helping. But once you find the right team and the right support, as you've said, it can be a growth period. And I do encourage people like, do not give up. You will find things that work. It just takes time and patience, but you will absolutely get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And failure or regression is also a part of that experience. You know, it's, it's that old adage of two steps forward, one step back, you know? Um, so you'll go through periods where it feels like uh, you, you haven't made any progress or that things are worse than they ever were. But I, I look back at the person that I was six years ago before I started my own journey of addressing my, my pain. And I don't recognize the person that I used to be. 
Um, but there were definitely points along the way where I thought, oh man, why did I ever start this road? I, you, I was better off beforehand. You know, at least I was, I was functioning. Uh, you know, that's what I thought at the time. So, I, you know, why would I have, why should I have made things worse by opening up these boxes that were just filled with pain? But ultimately, I think that I'm so much stronger for those experiences, which is not to say that I think people should experience pain to come out the other side, a changed person. But if unfortunately you do have to deal with pain, sometimes it really can be that that learning and growing experience. So I agree with you. It's not worth giving up hope, even though your journeys might not look like the journeys that Alexandria and I have have described here. For sure. And just as a last reminder, like our nervous system is incredible. Our nervous system is trying to protect us. And there's so many different mechanisms that are happening within pain processes as they're occurring on the daily. But the brain is amazing. The brain is neuroplastic. You can relearn pain patterns. And we are hoping to have uh, more researchers and experts coming on to speak specifically about these pathways to teach people. Um, brain reprocessing types of techniques so that they can learn to just better manage in their everyday. But that will be a conversation (laughs) for another day. But because we're just at the end here, this is a Saskatchewan-based podcast. So Jessica, would you be willing to tell us about one of your favorite things about living in the province? Sure. Well, as someone who was born and raised here, I, again, could go on for hours, but I'm going to choose... um, my favorite thing about Saskatchewan is the varied and incredible beauty of this enormous province. There are so many different ecozones, so many different groups of people. It's the size, the scale, the uniqueness of this province is just unbelievably incredible. COVID allowed me to take stock of what I used to think of as my travel bug and realize that, you know, there's so much newness and culture and unique experiences to be found in Saskatchewan that I I really want to reduce my environmental impact of traveling and stick close to home and get to know the people and the places that have made me who I am and give back to those same people and places because there's a lot of bad things to say about Saskatchewan, but Ultimately, it's what we make of it. And I I love this province and I love all the people in it. So I just want to make it a better place. <laughs> For sure. And I feel like you're well on your way to doing an incredible job of that. So Jessica, thank you for your time today and sharing all of these insights to our listeners. I'm sure people are going to learn a ton. So thank you for your time. Well, thank you so much. And thank you out there, everyone, for listening to me. I, I hope that this has been enlightening or made a difference for you. Thank you again to Jessica Jack and her dedication to the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan Research Project. It is an incredible undertaking, and I am sure many of us are excited to see how this affects and brings change to pain care in our province moving forward. You can visit the Improving Pain in Saskatchewan Facebook and Instagram pages to learn more and to subscribe to their newsletter, which provides updates at every step of the research process, as well as information on how to get involved. Also, if anyone would like to contact Jessica directly, you can email her at jessica.jack, that is J-E-S-S-I-C-A dot J-A-C-K at USASK. USASK.ca. 
Lastly, regarding the statistics on pain education for healthcare providers that we spoke of during this episode, the majority of medical schools in the United States only get approximately nine hours of pain education total. And the most recent article I could find by Dr. Mary Lynch from 2011 indicates that in Canada, it is estimated that physicians are only given 16 hours of pain education over an eight to 10 year period. Thanks everyone and wishing you a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to Your Partners in Pain, a podcast for people experiencing pain and those who help individuals living with pain. Funding for this podcast was provided by the Saskatchewan Community Initiatives Fund and the Saskatchewan Pain Society. For more information about our organization or to find additional resources, please find us on social media at SASPain or visit our official website, www.saspain.ca. Thank you.